This is the IHS Market Ferticon Fertilizer Podcast, a podcast about events and trends in global fertilizer markets. Episodes are hosted by Ferticon's expert analysts and released regularly near major industry events. Today's episode of Urea Never Sleeps was recorded on April 28, 2020, just before the India tender announcement. So welcome everyone. We're back again with another Urea Never Sleeps podcast. Um, this time, well, both from our home offices, right, uh, Carl? So it's uh, it's me, Alfie Middlebeek. Uh, I'm a senior analyst on the Urea side at Verticon, and I'm joined by my colleague, Carl Stennison, and uh, perhaps his cat as well, <laughs> if we're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Alfie. Uh, I'm also a Urea analyst at Verticon. Um, Coming to you live from from my basement here. Uh, no cat right now, but I'm I'm looking over my shoulder because because my kids might might come running down after they finish their breakfast. So uh, if we're lucky, they'll they'll stay away while we do this. Well, I hope so. I mean, get them in the uh, in the area early, right? I mean, I'm sure they can't wait to hear about everything that's going on in the market. Yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe my my oldest might have like a hot take on on. Uh, on the India, next India tender for us. We'll see. Exactly. Well, you never know. I mean, it's uh, such crazy times. Anyone can predict what will happen, really, in a way, right? So uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really crazy. But it's kind of, you know, compared to some of the other markets, the Korean market doesn't really uh, seem to be affected as as greatly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't have any any negative. Uh, $40 a ton type urea prices or anything like that. No. Um, so it's because it is kind of an essential industry, it's been, I mean, there's definitely been some impacts, but it hasn't been as kind of, uh, you know, aggressive um, mm-hmm. as compared to some of the energy markets or even some of the uh, crop markets. So Yes, I guess, I mean, I guess it's sort of still to come maybe, right? Maybe there's some sort of delayed impact from the, uh, ethanol situation and corn prices and things like that. Um, but I mean, I guess short term, what we've seen is, is is currency fluctuations, right? I mean, we see in Brazil, uh, the devaluation of the, of the real is obviously, uh, you know, impact people that have urea and hands in their hands. Um, but I mean, on the other hand, of course, that's also positive for, for those exporting corn. So it's always a little bit of a double edged sword. Um, in terms of the impacts, I mean, what I'm seeing a lot is is a lot of sort of short-termism. So I think uh, we're obviously still seeing May quite heavy on the supply side, but where there are sort of promptons, as in sort of this week uh, for next week shipment, um, then we, we do see that there is some liquidity for it there. So it means, like you say, the impact hasn't been that strongly yet. So on the, on the FOB side last week, we didn't see uh, any dramatic downward corrections uh, in, for example, in the AG and Egypt. I mean, traded just like a few dollars down, um, but people did step in for um, sort of first half May shipment, right? So uh, I guess the, the the other thing that, that you know, everybody was really talking about uh, was the reaction on the uh, NOLA side, though, uh, last week, although we did see recovery on Wednesday, I, I, um, 
I heard on, on, on Tuesday, the 21st of April, that we did see a 218 short and NOLA uh, trade on the back of lower corn prices. Um, what do you um, what do you make of that and how is the spring application going in general in the States? Yeah, I mean, um, the ethanol situation is, is definitely kind of tricky right now. So obviously oil prices are really low, um, negative at times, and gasoline prices are low, and there's really no no demand either. So a lot of the ethanol plants are, are closing in production um, because they're, they're uh, unprofitable. So we're seeing a lot of demand destruction here in the U.S. for for corn, and that's kind of pushing price uh, corn prices down at a time when you know uh, a lot of the crop is just being planted. So it's kind of this whole situation is definitely putting a lot of uh, pessimism into the into the urea market, probably globally as well as locally. Um, and the ethanol is is one of the bigger reasons. Uh, but other than that, I mean, for for the U.S. as a whole, you know, high level perspective on the spring. It's it's actually going really well, all things considered. Um, the coronavirus and, and all the, the restrictions on, on travel and everything hasn't really affected ure urea producers' ability to continue producing. And it's added a few little hiccups to the to the kind of the distri distribution of urea. Um, but it's but it hasn't been overwhelming uh, any more than kind of what a normal spring is, maybe just a little bit worse. But but the most important thing so far this spring for the U.S. has been the weather. So it's been so much better than last year. Soils are still pretty wet, but but they're not, you know, over oversaturated like last year. So farmers are actually able to get into the fields and make they're making really good progress on on planting corn. So as of Sunday, the corn crop here in the U.S. was 27% complete, according to the USDA, and that compares to just 7% at this time last year. So we're looking at a pretty pretty good progress there, and also a pro more than likely a big increase in corn acres this year compared to last year. So the USDA came out with um, in their planted acreage uh, report in early March. They came out with 97 million corn acres to be planted, which would be up, you know, 7 million acres from last year. This was kind of a little bit before the ethanol situation really got detrimental. Mm. Um, so there is some expectation for that, that number to that 97 million number to come down a little bit and probably see some farmers switching to soybeans and, and wheat, which has become kind of relatively more attractive um, since that survey was done in early March. But Still, we're looking at a big corn number this year, especially if the weather continues like it has been. So even if it comes back, you know, a couple million acres, we're still looking at the mid 90s million of of corn planted acres this year, which would be up from, you know, a little bit under 90 million last year. So all things considered, I mean, the spring U.S. nitrogen demand should be should be really st strong and, and positive this year. Now, when we start looking ahead to kind of the summer period, that's where there's like a lot of uncertainty. So grain prices are are going to be very, very unattractive, more than likely. And, you know, urea prices internationally, there's just this bearish set sentiment across everything. So it's it's going to be uh, interesting to see where prices need to how well they need to reset before anybody wants to buy in and fill their storage. Um, 
because there's not a whole lot of urea that goes down in the fall. So a lot of the times you're what you buy during the summer, you're you're holding for a lot of lot of months until it's used. So people, it'll be interesting, like I said, to see see at what price level people will need to step in at. But you know, a lot of that depends on kind of what, what what's going on internationally. And so I guess what we're looking at internationally right now is we're expecting a an India tender pretty shortly. Is that right, Alfie? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's interesting what you're saying about the U.S. because um, it, it's pretty much what 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 I see as well in the market is that uh, it's all about timing now, right? So it's right. you know even though the U.S. is running so well, it's kind of sort of too late now to really be taking tons. So we are seeing this sort of um, like I said, heavy supply side. Um, uh, for May still, um, but like you say, I mean India. I mean as usual, <laughs> me and you are here talking about India and when they're expected to come back. Um, so we had the uh, 30th of March tender, which went ahead despite these lockdown measures that are in place. As um, as as of course you know, agriculture is such a uh, essential industry, and um, and also especially in India, right? So. Um, so, so far, I haven't heard any reports of issues with product arriving. I mean, shipment is up to the 5th of May, um, so we still have some time it is, as it's the uh, 28th of April today. Um, so, yeah, we have to see. I mean, we had all these ports. Um, pretty much every port was announcing force majeure or declaring force majeure uh, beforehand. Um, so we have to see, you know, what that will mean in terms of uh, extra demurrage costs and how everybody's hit by that, if at all, of course. Um, so they bought 747,000 tons in the last 10, mostly for the East Coast, uh, as the price there was obviously providing better netbacks as it was a bit higher. Um, considering that we have the important monsoon season ahead of us, I would expect an announcement on, a, on the next tender any day now. Um, the southwestern monsoon starts in June, but to give sort of time for for shipment and transport uh, transport from the ports of, to the states, um, it would have to be sort of first half June shipment to make sure all the tons are in place before the real ramp up of sales in July, when last year we saw domestic sales surpass 4 million tons. Um, so yeah, the question is really when, when they will come. Um, the other thing is, of course, I mean, um, considering an India tender is always so transparent, uh, it's not always the most positive impact uh, on the market, right? Because, uh, I mean, it also shows all the cards that everybody's holding. Uh, it depends a lot on, on, you know, especially China, how much China participation is there going to be in the last tender. We did see quite a lot. And I would think that uh, with the sort of season in China sort of ramping down, uh, that we could see quite a lot uh, of Chinese um, offers as well. And I would think if that's the case, especially if it's going to the uh, West Coast mostly, then that would be quite a negative sign for the market, right? Um, there's, on the other hand, the, the COVID impact, of course. Um, on, on, on production, we have to see exactly um, how it has impacted. I mean, it doesn't look like there were any big... Uh, shutdown of plants in India, um, but of course the expected effect of labour shortages is um, is anticipated to reduce monthly domestic production. I mean it's hard to say by how much. I mean anecdotally we're hearing maybe.
be like 10%, but really it's it's tough to really put a number on it. Um, but this, of course, adds to the case that, you know, they need to come back with a tender. Um, also, I mean, of course, the, um, the inauguration of the Ramagundam plant um, Ramagundam, I should say, uh, plant has been delayed. So that, I mean, that that would have once ramped up, added another uh, 1.2 million tons a year uh, to domestic production. So that's been delayed. So I would think, I would think that obviously they need to come. The question is, um, you know, how, how much everyone is going to offer. If it's going to be one of those tenders where everybody offers and we suddenly realize how much supply there is, then really, uh, even though it's an Indian tender and they're coming to take supply out of the market, it, it could really have a, a negative impact, right? Um, right? I mean, what's your what's your view on, on Chinese exports? Because obviously that's the big question. I mean, we're hearing something like expectations of, of 6 million, 6 to 8 million tons for the year. Obviously, Jan Feb was down a bit, right, on the back of COVID. But I mean, how, what, are you, what are you seeing? What are your expectations? Yeah, so I think you know Chinese exports for the year. It's kind of kind of a, a pivot pivot topic for for either year markets. So you know over the last few years we've seen kind of uh, capacity shut in and production um, decrease. Uh, well, that's kind of started to change here in 2019. Even production was up a little bit from 2018, and capacity. Um, was pretty stable. So, so looking at the 2020, right? I mean, what we saw in Q1 was reduced exports. Um, exports were only uh, 800,000 tons for January through March, compared to 1.3 million tons during the same period last year. So, down half a million tons. Um, but that was mostly due to the coronavirus, like you said. So, um, there was a lot of restrictions on just the movement of product within China. Um, and then there's delays at the at the ports, and and traders didn't want to, you know, traders who supply for for the export market didn't want to take positions because of the risk. So um, that was that was really the main reasons. Not that production was really down. Production within China was actually higher in Q1 this year compared to last year, and we kind of expect that trend to continue. We're expecting to see higher production urea production in China this year. There's actually a few capacity additions and coal prices um, are just a lot weaker, you know, especially over the past couple of months when oil, uh, when oil prices have gotten so cheap, um, that's having an impact on the coal prices. So um, with production higher, uh, we, we kind of start to see uh, a lot more tons moving to the export market over the next nine months out of out of China because um, domestic consumption wise, it's we're probably looking at a, another steady year. Um, obviously, the on the industrial urea side, we could that'll be affected quite a bit by the COVID and kind of the slowing um, GDP growth. Um, but on the ag side, we we probably see steady demand this year. Um, so with consumption kind of steady and, and production higher, we just expect more tons will will shift to the export market. So we our number is a little bit over six million tons um, for Chinese exports this year, which would be up, you know, one point two million tons uh, from four point eight million tons last year. Um, so that'd be a pretty big, big increase when you're considering, you know, global urea trade around the fifty million tons a year um, mm, year definitely. mark. Yeah, no, definitely. I guess it's. <laughs> 
That's the thing. I mean, like you were saying, of course, the feedstock costs are, are moving down as well. So it kind of resets the whole thing, right? Like the 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 bottom uh, it can just go a lot lower than than it can if if of, of course these feedstock costs are high, and especially with China being kind of the swing producer, right? It um, always has a big impact. So what are you um what are your outlook? Uh, what's your outlook exactly for for natural gas costs, and and who do you think is going to be uh, the most impacted by um, uh, reduction of gas costs and, and where it's going to where we're going to see most of the that sure. play out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So um, natural gas, I mean, just looking at kind of recent futures on on the the exchanges. I mean, the Henry Hub is is under two dollars per mmbtu, which is you know historically very cheap and the forward curve is just showing a high of three dollars per mmbtu this this winter um you know similarly for the dutch ttf um it's it's under two dollars currently and and the forward curve is only showing around three dollars per mmbtu this winter which is just historically cheap um so that being said i mean the natural gas producers and and across Europe are looking at and Eastern Europe and and Central Asia. So talking, you know, Ukraine, um, Turkmenistan, and and uh, Belarus and um, all the other countries with capacity up there. They're gonna have um, lower natural gas costs, especially the ones that have oil-linked contracts. Most of those are done on a lag to oil, so they might not be seeing that decrease in natural gas costs yet, but they will be seeing that, you know, later this year, especially with our current oil forecast, which which basically has Brent, you know, staying in this twenty to thirty dollar per barrel range for for the foreseeable future. Um, so that being said, I mean a lot of those producers which had been considered marginal uh, producers, especially in late 2018 when gas prices were, you know, seven to ten dollars per MMBTU in Western Europe, those producers are all looking at really cheap natural gas prices right now and they'll just be able to continue producing even at at lower prices. So um it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough year for for urea prices, but at least, you know, from the producer perspective, at least you're looking at really you know historically cheap gas prices mm, yeah so it's kind of the prices will have to move down from where we are but it will kind of be a sort of new normal where it doesn't necessarily mean that people aren't necessarily losing out on that money right i know we were expecting prices to sort of move down and then sort of recovery uh towards the end of the year is that still what you're seeing are you expecting any changes to the forecast on the back of the situation we'll just have to see how the coronavirus takes shape from here i mean i guess in our current in our current um forecasts we're expecting you know global gdp to be hit pretty significantly in 2020 but we're seeing you know with our current for forecast it's like we're, we're assuming some type of recovery in 2021 so in a back to normal type situation um, so as long as, you know, the coronavirus, as long as we kind of continue to work through this and the economy gets back on track, we work through some of these oil and natural gas inventories and prices start to recover, then naturally we'd start to see a recovery in urea prices. But, you know, for the foreseeable future, it seems like there's kind of very limited upside for for urea prices. And, and that the same could be said for a lot of the crop and energy prices as well. And relatively, I mean, because it's 
so essential for food production. I mean, a lot of the demand is still going to be there. We're seeing that in the U.S. Yeah. right now, and we'll see that in India this year. Um, so on the demand side, I think there's still a lot of positives. It's just kind of um, on the industrial urea demand side, it, it looks to, looks pretty negative. And then when you add in some, you know, possible capacity, new capacity coming on stream in, in Nigeria and within India and maybe a little bit in China, and then you look at the extremely low feedstock costs, that's when you start to get kind of bearish. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting times and, and we'll just have to see, keep monitoring coronavirus and see where we go from here. Yeah, definitely. On on Dangote, I mean, what are you when are you expecting in terms of uh, the start of of exports that we'll be seeing out of Nigeria there? Yeah. So just for anybody who doesn't know, the Dangote refinery is a uh, a new plant in uh, Lagos, Nigeria, um, mostly to feed the export market. So there's two. Uh, 1.27, 1.2 to 1.5 million tons a year urea lines there. Um, earlier this year, Dangote reported that they were starting some testing of the urea plant, and they they told us that they expected this was in what February or so. Yeah, um, I remember. Yeah. They 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 said they were going to start uh, urea production in in June and have sh- exports shortly after. Well, you know, since since we heard that, obviously the coronavirus <laughs> has really taken things over, and I know Lagos has been has been shut down. I think it's still currently shut down. So, I, I think that's going to delay the timeline yet again for that project. Um, we could still see it come on stream later this year, uh, which which is probably likely maybe they get one line going later this year. Um, but yeah, I think that June, I'd be surprised if they got it running in, in June, like, mm-hmm. like their latest timeline was. Yeah. But, but either way. I mean, if you get one, one, one million ton of urea line running, that's focused on the export market. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, uh, you know, supply. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's some, that's something to, uh, something that sort of supports at least, uh, some reduction of supply. That's ex- at least something that's not super negative for prices, right? If we if we don't see some of the um, expected capacity in Q3 at least, right? Yeah, yeah, it'd be positive to see those mm-hmm. those you know delayed. Yeah, for we don't sure. Necessarily seem like we we don't really need it at this point. Exactly. No, definitely, definitely. Okay, well, Carl, thank you so much. It's uh, been interesting to talk to you as always. Um, And uh, thank you to the listeners, of course. And um, uh, please subscribe. I mean, you can find us on uh, any uh, podcast app you're listening to, either Apple or Google Podcasts. And um, uh, any comments, leave it for us. We'd love to hear them and, and rate us five stars only, of course. That would be great. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Alfie. It was it was a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks, Carl. Bye. All right. Thanks. Bye. For more information about Furticon and IHS Market, visit the link in the show description. Thank you for listening.